Welcome to an audio stream from San Marino Community Church, featuring sermons drawn from our pastoral staff and various guest preachers. listen to God's word for us this morning from the book of Mark. They came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples in a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he cried out even more loudly, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and said, Call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, My teacher, let me see again. Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him on the way. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus stood still and said, Call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up. He is calling you. So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, my teacher, let me see again. Friends, let us pray. God of mercy, we are humbled with the truth here in the gospel. You are the God willing to turn, willing to listen, willing to heal. In these moments together, let our thoughts not be like those million pieces of information washing over us each day. For we came to hear your word of life. So relieve us of our distractions so that with our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength, we might come to see you for who you are. And in seeing, believe and follow you on the way. Amen. In our first year of marriage, my wife, Kate, and I lived and studied in Oxford, England. I had the joy of working in a pub called the Eagle and Child. Its claim to fame being that it once housed the gatherings of the likes of C.S. Lewis and J.R. Tolkien, who would read and discuss portions of their work and talk about all manner of things. It was hollowed ground to some, and for others, it was just another pub flooded with students on the occasion, tourists on others, with a steady stream of regulars. I'll never forget one customer who approached the bar with his backpack, clearly a tourist, 
He was a younger guy walking in the front door and taking it, taking it all in like he was so happy to get to the place he'd been wanting to go. As he was taking it in, he walked up to the bar and asked for which pint was most local. What would give him the real taste of the local experience? And I knew, and I gave him the answer. But boy, oh boy, I don't know that he heard me because he cocked his head and looked me straight in the eye with astonishment. And he asked me, where are you from? I told him I went to college in Massachusetts. And he said, no, 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 no. Where are you from? I said, well, I grew up in Orange County. And his hand slapped the top of the bar and a look of total disgust washed over his face. You're saying to me, he snarled with a loud voice that had other folks start looking his way, that I traveled all the way from Huntington Beach <laughs> to come here to Oxford, England, and I go to the local bar to have a local beer and I get served by a guy from Orange County? <laughs> he was not happy. He left my presence as quickly as he could. He curled into a corner by the window and brooded over a notebook, and then he walked out. It was not the experience he was looking for, <laughs> to say the least. A few days later, I was walking back to our flat quite late at night. The panhandlers and the vagabonds in Oxford uh, were, at that time, notoriously pushy, um, and they tended to seize upon idealistic students, and I definitely looked the part. A man with an unwashed face walked up to me from out of some shadow somewhere uh, with a purpose in his step, and he wanted to know what I could give him. And I really had nothing on me, only a few coins in my pocket, which I took out and, and presented to him. And he looked at me in utter disgust. And he said, is that all you've got? Don't you know I need more than that? I said, yeah, I, I totally believe you, but honestly, this is all that I have, these coins. He said, where am I supposed to get help? That doesn't help me. And I said, well, I'm, I'm not from around here, but I do go to a church up the road, and I'm sure that they'd be able to help point you in the right direction to get some help if you need it. And his mouth just gaped open even wider. And he shook his head at me in complete disgust, slapped the coins out of my hand and stormed away down the street. Bartimaeus was the son of Timaeus. It's literally in his name. Bar means son, so Bar Timaeus. He was a local in Jericho. He was a known entity, probably not a stretch of the imagination to picture him as an outspoken person. And from the way that the gospel portrays the crowd, the crowd were well-practiced in handling Bartimaeus as a part of their neighborhood. It's clear that Bartimaeus had heard about Jesus. Jesus draws a crowd. Jesus that teaches as one with authority. Jesus that heals miraculously. And so hearing that it's Jesus coming down the road, Bartimaeus, who is blind, starts shouting out loudly, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowd 
who have grown accustomed to knowing how to handle these kinds of outbursts from these kinds of people, does what? Shh. Shh. Oh, man. Friends, maybe we'd like to think that we wouldn't be those people shushing Bartimaeus, but really, when you think about it, really, maybe we kind of are. Just imagine you're, you're standing at the Tournament of Roses parade, of all things. The Rose Queen floats slowly by on the beautiful float. Some guy with an unwashed face starts yelling out, yelling at her because he believes she can help fix the problem. What do we do? Shh. Shh. Quiet. Or head of state. Just imagine a head of state walking into the Capitol building in a long official procession. A beggar starts yelling out that he needs her to cast a vote in a certain way so that just maybe the wheels might be set in motion, that he might find relief for his suffering. He might get resources to help mend his malady. He's yelling out at her, and what do we do? Shh. Shh. Not to mention what we can too easily do to children as adults. Kids come running up to us with something that disrupts our important moment with our important person, and what's our tendency? Shh. Part of what the story is getting at is how that exact response of the crowd to shh is ingrained in our bones. Shh, don't ask Jesus that. He's busy with necessary things. Shh, Jesus can't attend to that right now. Just think of the important work he's doing, way more important than what you need right now. So shh. Don't disrupt the decorum of the moment. Don't you know we need to present ourselves appropriately? Shh. Friends, it's, it's ingrained. We've internalized it. But a conviction of this text, a conviction that I read in here, is that this tendency to shush is not serving us well. It's not serving the world either. So I believe that like what happens in the story, one thing that we can do is take our shushing, take our shushing tendencies and gently, kindly invite them and that part of us to just step aside. Let the shushing rest a while over there. See what happens when we stop shushing. Because what does Jesus do? We're literally in the part of Mark where Jesus has set his face to Jerusalem. There's no more important thing than what he is going to go do. He's walking there with all divine purpose and will for what needs to be accomplished. There's a weight resting on his shoulders. There's purpose to his steps. He's thoroughly, completely focused on the work he has to go do. And a beggar in Jericho some nobody starts yelling out, not even calling Jesus the correct name at first. There's a reason that calling Jesus the son of David gets corrected to what he uses later, Rabboni, which means master or teacher. 
Bartimaeus is just flailing. He's, he's unafraid. He's not shy one bit. He's just shouting out. And the important Jesus, with his important business, does what? The text makes a point to say that he stops. He stands still. The whole procession grinds to a halt. And Jesus allows himself to be interrupted by a moment of human need. Jesus allows himself to be interrupted. This is why this text teaches us not only about what it is to follow Jesus, but maybe even more importantly, about who Jesus is. Jesus, the all-powerful God of the universe, the, the word that was in the beginning, speaking creation into being, the word made flesh on a divine mission with a divine purpose, the word stops and turns and attends to the cry of Bartimaeus, who is in need. Friends, this is Jesus. Hearing the cries of the need, turning towards those who are usually shushed and pushed to the margins, calling them to himself, showering them with grace that is free and not earned. Now, a caveat. I don't think that this text gives us a blueprint for how we here in our modern age can begin to tackle the enormously complex modern problem of homelessness and housing insecurity and mental health and disability. That, friends, that problem is indeed a giant. But, We've just come from a sermon series where we've pondered the ways that even giants can be overcome with relatively simple, small, faithful steps of not only trusting in Jesus theoretically, but practicing that trust in Jesus, turning to Jesus and speaking our need and following where he leads. And who do we have in this passage that is actually practicing their trust in Jesus. Well, it's Bartimaeus, of course. He doesn't start out as a follower of Jesus, but he sees Jesus for who he is and what Jesus is capable of. In fact, just 10 verses before this, Jesus asked the disciples the exact same question. He asked the disciples, what do you want me to do for you? And do you remember what the disciples' answer is? The ones who were supposed to get it? They answered Jesus and they said, let us sit on your right hand and on your left when we're in glory. What an absurd response to that question from Jesus. Their response is full of just bargaining for status. They're worried about how they might be perceived in the future. It's one-upmanship at its absolute finest and its absolute worst. To Jesus, of all people. Jesus who said, don't sit at the head of the banquet, choose the back table. The last shall be first. So the disciples, the one who should have been able to see Jesus, couldn't. The ones who should have been able to know him, 
weren't able to know. But Bartimaeus, an outsider, the one who couldn't see, sees Jesus as clear as day. Friends, children aren't shy about what they need. They speak up. There is a reason why Jesus said, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. Don't shush them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. What would it mean for you or for us to not be shy with God, to run to Jesus with our needs? The text says Bartimaeus sprang to his feet and went to truly believe that Jesus will make time for us. What image of Jesus, what image of God do you hold in your head that might be a barrier to springing to your feet and running to Jesus? Is the image of some top corner office, office executive that just can't be bothered doing way too many important things? Is the image maybe a father that's preoccupied with large problems that shouldn't be interrupted? Don't go there, shh, don't speak your need. Friends, let this passage be a corrective to any misguided, ingrained image you have of God. See Jesus instead. Because in Jesus, we see the face of God, and Jesus stops and turns towards the cry of someone that the world thinks is unworthy. Jesus heals and calls a person who the world shushed and dismissed. Maybe there's a way this week to walk closely with Christ and how he listens and turns. Maybe there's a way that's arising in your heart and mind right now where you can think about how you respond to this text. I don't know where you may be traveling from to find yourself here today, worshiping online or maybe some point in the future, but what you came for is important. What you came hoping and longing to find is what Jesus wants to hear about. Jesus wants to hear your words, your cry, and your needs. This text says a loud and definitive yes to speaking those needs or even shouting them in Jesus' presence. Don't be shy with Jesus. Children, let your needs be made known. Our children have entered. They're going to lead us in worship and a prayer in just a moment. But in thinking about this moment, I started thinking about a favorite family movie, Princess Bride, 1987. Story full of characters and humor and heart. And you may know that the actor Carrie Elwes plays Wesley, the hero of the story. He's the servant turned pirate turned redemptive figure. In a behind-the-scenes look, Carrie Elwes tells this story about Andre the Giant, who's also a character in the movie. And I'm going to use many of his own very words. He says, because Andre couldn't handle any weight on his back, everything had to be rigged for what he was picking up. There's a scene 
called the Cliffs of Insanity. Have you known that scene? Giant cliffs, and the heroes have to scale it, and the villains have to scale it as well. And it's all shot at the Cliffs of Dover with stuntmen and cranes and miniatures, all kinds of effects. And they needed the actors themselves to go up the Cliffs of Dover. So there was a forklift that was on the other side of a rubber-faced mountain cliff. And on the fork was a pole with three bicycle seats. Picture this in your mind. There was Mandy Pictinkin. He sat on a bicycle seat. And Wally Shawn, who was Vicini, sat on a bicycle seat. And Robin Wright Penn, who played Buttercup, also sat on a bicycle seat. And it all looked like Andre the Giant was carrying them up this giant rope up the cliffs of insanity. Now, what we don't know is that Wally Shawn was terrified of heights. He was very frightened of being terrified and ruining the film. He literally used those words, I'm worried I'm going to ruin the film. I have no ability to do this. I don't know what I'm going to do. I have a tremendous fear of heights. I can't even look down at my feet, says Wally Shawn. And he would go on and on, says Carrie Elwes. He was overwhelmed with terror. And we begin to go up, says Carrie, and Wally is about to pass out. We're not even two inches off the ground. And Andre looks at Wally and says to him in Andre's voice, what's the matter? And Wally looked up at Andre and couldn't speak. And Andre just held Wally's head like a child, and said, don't worry, I'll take care of you. Don't worry, I'll take care of you. And Wally was fine. From that second on, we went up the cliffs, we went down several times, and Wally never had a problem. He believed Andre, the giant. Friends, whatever you've got, if it's a fear you're holding in your heart, if it's a hope that you dare not hope, if it's a longing that you just can't bring yourself to see fulfilled, don't be shy about bringing it to Jesus. If you're saying, what's in your hand is not enough, I'm not able to survive on that, Lord, bring it to Jesus. If you're saying to yourself, this is not the place where I thought I would be, bring it to Jesus. If you're on your last rope and saying, I just can't do this, bring it to Jesus. For there is grace for the world that will be unleashed through the cries of your hearts, of our hearts, when we direct those cries to Jesus, the Savior. Amen. You have been listening to a production of San Marino Community Church. Find our worship services on YouTube or subscribe to our podcast on Spotify. Spotify.